one need at a time. And the power I believe in that is it directs us back towards a truth that is so central and so powerful is Jesus meets us one at a time. He meets us where we are in the midst of our broken and our chaos and our neediness, and he does it as if we were the only person on the planet. And so then as we begin to imitate him, might that be true in our lives as well? And I'm a visual learner, so visuals, visuals help me. If they're not your thing, fine. There'll be some cool stuff later that isn't as visual. But this is a jar of $10 in pennies. There are a 1,000 pennies in there. You can ask me later how I know that. But we tend to think little of the lowly penny. How many of you, if you're walking across a parking lot and you see a penny, might actually not even bend over for a penny? Probably some of us are like, no, a nickel or a dime or, you know, a quarter, that's a win. I can bend over and pick that up. But a penny, we might just walk past and not give it a second thought. But if we were sitting this morning and I said, hey, I've got a rich uncle and uh, I want to give you this opportunity. I'm going to pick on Becca because I can see her. Good to see you, Becca. You'll never sit there again. <laughs> I'm going to give you the option. Door number one is $2 million. Door number two is we're going to take one penny and we're going to put it in a jar and we're going to double it every day for 30 days. So do you want the two million or the doubled pennies? Which are you picking? Two million. I'm glad because that leaves me with three and a half million dollars at the end of the month. There's a graphic that'll be up on the screen. If you double a penny every day for 30 days, $5.368 million. Now you're like, can I know your uncle? That part's a lie. That's a preacher story. I don't have any rich uncles that I'm aware of, although I'm open to meeting them if they're out there somewhere. But compounding exponential growth is one of the things God is in the business of doing in our lives and would then invite us to do the same in the lives of others. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says, I planted, Apollos watered, God brought the harvest or the increase. And what I love about that is it is a very powerful illustration that our job is to plant or water or water and plant, but God is the one who brings the harvest. That has set me so free is I don't have to bring the harvest. In fact, I can't bring the harvest. I just might have the privilege of being present when the harvest happens. And this is another way to look at this is it's a tipping point. And so the side that's lowest on these scales allegedly has the greatest value. But if we think about one need at a time, this isn't a very big weight. And this isn't a very big weight. And this one's a little smaller, and this one's tiny. But it's sufficient that it tipped the scales. And we never know what our meeting of one simple need has as far as an impact because it might be the very last thing that tips the point maybe of somebody choosing to remain alive, maybe of them choosing Christ, maybe this deeper thing of I have value and I have meaning. And pennies, planting, watering, the scales, 
all of us can relate to those in some fashion. And I would just invite you, even this morning, memory. What do you recall that's been a tipping point for you? Where somebody poured in, maybe it was the last little thing, and it tipped you away from a dark way of thinking or acting and brought you into a place where there's life and hope and joy. Our next stop in our journey this morning is the Word of God. And I want to be cautious because I think something has begun to kind of sneak into the way we talk about the Scripture, and we call them Bible stories which, you know, we don't want to be too narrow, but okay, stories. Well, Harry Potter's a story, and Lord of the Rings is a story, and figure out whatever your favorite story is. We do not want God's Word to be in that same category. So, so much of what we see in the Word of God is an actual eyewitness account someone just like you and I that was present for it, and out of the inspiration of God, they took the time to write it down. 66 books written over a period of thousands of years and have endured the test of time. And if anybody ever says, you know, you the scriptures contradict each other, just ask them gently, not judgy or snotty, hey, show me where that is so we can talk about it. Now, my experience over all these years, I've yet to see a contradiction that was actually a contradiction. It might be that this is poetic language, and this is literal language, or Jesus feeding the 5,000, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, and okay, they're not contradictions, they're different lenses. And so God isn't giving us a book of simply stories or fables, these are eyewitness accounts in many instances of what God did. And if you have your Bible or your device this morning, we're not going to read every verse in John 14. But if you pick up in John 14, verse 13, Jesus has just been told that his cousin, John, has been beheaded. It is a brutal murder perpetrated against someone for political reasons. John had made the wrong people mad. And he ultimately paid the price of his earthly life. So Jesus gets this information and a reasonable response when someone who is dear to you is dead, you want to pull away and grieve if you're healthy. Too often as Americans, we just want to rub some dirt on it and go, no, I'm fine. Probably not. So Jesus is purposing to get away. He and the dudes, I don't know if he called them dudes, but I'm going to call them dudes. He and the dudes get in the boat and they go to leave so they can have some space. But because of the way everything worked at that point in time, people are watching and they're going, Jesus has got to be going over there. So the whole crowd chases around the lake and Jesus arrives and what he had hoped was be, going to be a retreat away from noise and chaos was another opportunity to minister. And it says in the Word of God, he sees them and he has compassion on them. He healed their sick. And all throughout the day, he's healing and he's teaching and he's pouring himself out. Understand with this burden of grief and loss, and it was such a full day, we get the impression at least that he and the dudes didn't stop to eat. And Jesus is seeing people. He's a keen observer of human nature. He's like, these people are hungry. So it's a teaching opportunity for the dudes. He goes, hey, how much food have you got? What's in the lunchbox? It wasn't very much by our standards. But our not very much matched up with God's abundance becomes more than enough. 
So they have everybody sit down, 50s and 100s, 5,000 guys, the scripture tell us, plus their families. Some alleged experts would say that crowd could have been 20,000 people. And Jesus takes a few loaves and some fish, and everybody, it says in the scripture, was satisfied. Have you ever been to a buffet and you just come away going, I am satisfied? Now, if we're really honest, I am a glutton is probably sometimes shows up in there. And just real quick, Rick, side note, gluttony is sin just like any other. So we ought to be pretty careful with all those things. We go, well, it's just gluttony. Yeah, it's sin. Now, if that steps on your toes, tell God because he wrote the book. But there are 20-ish thousand Jewish folks at the feet of Jesus. They've had this phenomenal day. Jesus meets their need for a meal. One and done, maybe. But then if we move into Matthew chapter 15, we see a similar scene. Although I learned something this week, it was a light bulb moment for me. I was listening to this Old Testament guy that I just really like how he makes the word come alive for me. And this is the first time I think I've ever heard this. The feeding of the 5,000, those would have been predominantly Jews, which is who Jesus said he came for the lost sheep of Israel. And then this group of 4,000, these were non-Jews, Gentiles. It's a dramatic shift, gang, is the first crowd, they were on board with having a Messiah. The second crowd, they had a ton of gods, big gods, little gods, gods of rain, gods of war, gods of KU basketball, which apparently failed yesterday. Some of you are in grief, aren't you? I'm sorry. I really don't have a dog in the fight. I was a fat, nerdy kid, and I didn't care about any of that stuff. I still don't care about any of that stuff. But if you're in grief, call the counseling center. We'll try and get you in. So Jesus comes to this crowd of non-Jews that didn't really get it, but he spends three days teaching and healing non-Jews, pagans, Gentiles. And I don't know about you, but if I go to a seminar, I'm not anticipating it, A, lasting three days unless I know, and I'm not taking enough provisions for that. Now, I like food, and so if you checked in my backpack right now, there's at least a couple of kids' cliff bars in there, because I'm currently fairly addicted to those. And so I could be okay for a couple of hours, but by three days, I'm not in a good place. And Jesus recognizes, and he says, if I send them away, they might faint. So again, he opens the fish and chips buffet. That was supposed to be funny. Fish and chips, ha, ha, ha. Okay, that's all right. I thought it was funny, as I do all of my jokes. I am always entertained by my jokes. So he opens the fish and chips buffet, not a nice grassy plain, but everybody sits down. The meal is served again, and there is one more time an abundance, and everyone was satisfied. Now, this isn't an answer out loud, but when is the last time you remember being fully satisfied by Jesus? Because I think we get the clear implication here that he wants to meet our needs, both physical and soulish, in such a way that we experience satisfaction and joy, which are not happiness. Happiness is much like the Kansas weather. Was anybody unhappy this morning when they looked at their thermometer? Our backyard thermometer, I want to believe, is broken, but it said 11 degrees this morning. That is not okay in March. 
but it's Kansas. And if you don't like it, wait five minutes, it'll change. So Jesus is meeting needs. And if we had time this morning, I would much prefer doing this with a handful of us and a cup of coffee. And we could look through the scriptures and find example after example where Jesus met needs one at a time. One of them that stuck out to me was Jesus healing the lepers. And in at least one instance, he touched a leper. Now, that doesn't make sense to us because we've not been around leprosy. But I have some friends that have traveled in India and did some work with Mother Teresa back in the day, and they said leprosy is the most disgusting thing because it smells bad, because the body is decaying. And in this point in history, being clean and unclean for a Jew was a really big deal, and Jesus, in meeting needs, touched people that no one else would touch. Have you ever felt like a leper? And Jesus reached out and he touched you. And might it be that he's inviting us to do the same thing with whatever we would equate with leprosy? And in the church, we've got some things on that list that is not Jesus's list. Jesus restored sight to the blind. Can you imagine if you'd been blind your whole life and Jesus is the first optometrist and he shows up and he restores sight to the blind? If you weren't able to walk and you had lain near the pool of Bethesda for all those years and Jesus comes and says, get up, dude, and you get to get up for maybe the first time ever in your life. And what's interesting about that particular story, if we trust the scriptures, which we can, no one else got healed that day that we know of. I imagine they were a little bitter. Hey, 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 Jesus, get back over and heal, heal me. But Jesus met one need at a time, and he's inviting us to do the same. And then there are at least several examples in the scripture, Lazarus being one of them, where the ultimate need to be brought back from the dead, Jesus showed up, and he met that need. I'm not sure Lazarus would have agreed, because he's like, I got to go back to the girls, and sometimes they're a lot, possibly. It also put a bullseye on Lazarus's chest. Because when you've been a dead guy for three days, and now you're an alive guy, and the Pharisees hate what Jesus is doing, you have just moved up on the hit list. But his need was met. And I wish, again, that we had time to explore all of those stories. The good news is we can explore all those stories in God's Word every day. Not to check off a box that says, I had my personal quiet time. There may be seasons in our walk with God that it is an act of discipline. And that's okay. But might there also be times where the word of God begins to jump off the page and we see people that were just as messed up as us and Jesus intervened and met their need just like he wants to do with us? But maybe it's helpful to make this a little bit personal. We all have stories of needs being met. This is not a need. This is my addiction. I was sober for three months. I'm currently off the wagon. Somebody in my Sunday school class put this on my lectern last Sunday. It is currently unopened. I can prove it to you. It's the seal is still in intact. But this is a, not a need. It's a want. So we need to be careful when we think about needs and wants. 
But years and years ago, in 1987, a then dumber than a box of rocks youth pastor started ministering in the little town of Sedgwick at First Christian Church, and Jamie Werbin, who some of you know, was a member of that church. And Jamie and I began to build a friendship. And somewhere in that first year, we were trying to move my grandma out of her home and all that. And Jamie gave me the keys to his 1972 Chevy pickup, which we both wish he still owned. And he gave me those keys. And I said, hey, when do you need it back? Keep it as long as you need to. And he didn't say, don't scratch it. Although, eh, wouldn't have mattered. He didn't say, fill up the gas tank. He just gave me the keys as an act of service to meet a need in my life. Fast forward a few years, still a dumb as a box of rocks youth pastor begins here in Derby, and Mary Myers at that time was our real estate agent, and Mary is a lady that loves Jesus. And I say loves because it's real time. She's with him now, which thrills my soul. But we were getting ready to move into this new-to-us house, had a brand-new garage door, and some knucklehead backed a trailer into the brand-new garage door. Now, if you didn't know Mary, Mary was a lady that liked things to be right, particularly in that world. So quietly, behind the scenes, she called a garage door company and had my mistake fixed and is probably still a little irritated that I know it was her because she wanted to meet a need quietly behind the scenes at the heart of it for God's glory. Mary didn't say, you need to write me a thank you note. She didn't say every time I saw her, hey, how's that garage door? She met a need that was very important to us. And there's story after story after story. Uh, I have a file in my office. It's about this thick. It's called the keep me going file. And in those rare moments, and thankfully they're rare, when I think doing anything but this sounds good, I get the keep me going file out. And they're thank you notes, and they're words of encouragement, and photos from events, and one picture from a six-year-old, I don't have any idea what it is, but it was a gift for Pastor Rick as an encouragement, and I get those out, and I look at them, and one more time, that need to make a difference comes to the surface. And that can be true for every one of us. The message of God's love becomes magnetic when we meet needs the way Jesus does. Galatians chapter 6 says, As you have opportunity, do good to all people, especially God's family. All is this big word that's very comprehensive. And we live in a chaotic world where prejudice and bigotry is everywhere. And would it be reasonable to say to all of us this morning that all of us have some area where we're bigoted or prejudiced? 100%. That may not be along the normal lines. It might be, you know, oh, those people, whatever those people are. Can we acknowledge that we're those people to somebody, but we're not those people to Jesus? And Jesus doesn't have a list of those people does that make you pause for a minute and then go, how do I meet needs with a lens that just sees the way Jesus does? And real quick side note, this is not for pastors only. The New Testament teaches this idea of priesthood of all believers. So God's expectation for every one of us is to meet needs for his glory in his name, and he gets all the credit, and we can just be in the background. 
In my experience, maybe yours reflects this as well, it is much easier for me to take my wallet out and meet a need than it is to pour me out. Because pouring me out means I have to surrender my agenda and my I gotta go and I gotta do and I gotta accomplish and slow down and see people one at a time, just like Jesus does. And when we see people, we treat them the way Jesus does. Our very quick stop in this area is denial, not the river in Egypt, but denial of self. Some of you are listening. Thank you. (laughs) Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, by proxy us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Denying ourselves means it's less and less about us and more and more about God's glory and being available to serve in any way. Now, I'm really comfortable with that unless we want to talk about Nutella. Our daughter, Grace, lives at home. I have accused her a few times of getting in my Nutella because I will eat it with a spoon. Don't judge me. You all do your own crazy stuff. And I accused her recently of leaving different spoon marks in my Nutella. She denied it. I'm going to put a camera in the kitchen. (laughs) Not really. But to take up our cross and deny ourselves is so counterculture. And we live in this cancel culture and whatever all that is, it makes me want to vomit. But could we vomit a little bit of us away? Cancel the selfish culture? Because honestly, my favorite worship song is it's all about me. It's all about me. I won't sing more. That would not be pleasant for any of us. But to deny self enables me to have more space, more bandwidth, more humility to meet needs one at a time, and my needs move farther farther down that list. This is a Christ lens. So it brings us to a place that I would just call the destination a bottom line. And the biggest bottom line we need to be reminded of, or maybe here for the first time this morning, is Jesus alone meets our deepest need. We've gone through a crazy season in our world dealing with health and epidemics and pandemics and whatever all of that is, which has been divisive in and of itself. But think of the worst virus we could ever have, and that's the impact of sin, and Jesus is the only remedy for that, the only remedy. And it's free to us. It wasn't free to him. He died and bled for us so that our deepest need for a Savior for an eternity we do not have to fear. For us as believers, we don't want to hasten death, but as believers, there's no reason for us to fear death. And maybe, by and large, we don't fear death, but dying, that's a different thing. But even that, the journey and the process of dying is simply, maybe not simply, but really, it's a step into eternity where we get a brand new heaven-built upgrade. And isn't that good news? There'll be no trick knees in heaven. I think everybody will be bald because that's perfect. (laughs) I don't know. But everything we struggle with will be a thing of a past I think we won't even remember. The things that won't be said in heaven. You won't have to say, I'm sorry. 
You won't have to say, oops. You won't have to say, forgive me, because we're all going to be made whole. And newsflash, folks, there's going to be some people in heaven that are a total shock to us and vice versa. But Jesus was super clear in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We don't get to make up our own gospel. That's pretty popular in this world. But our deepest need is a Savior and the salvation He brings to us. And then we have the promise and the confident hope of eternity. And we ought not monkey around with God's Word. Occasionally, we get questions about baptism. Why does this church make such a big deal out of baptism? Because that's what we see in the Bible. If it was jumping on pogo sticks, folks, we'd have some pogo sticks up here. And you go, were those present in the New Testament? I have no idea. But to do what the Bible says in a Bible way, that's where we know freedom and life. And that's when Jesus' power is more at work in us. And then our second bottom line is Jesus asks us, to do likewise, to meet needs one at a time. Cameron and I were chatting about this backstage, and here's what I don't like about pay it forward, is if I'm in line at Starbucks, which will never happen, and I buy an $8 drink, and I pay for the person's $8 drink behind me, A, I think that's crazy, but do you, okay? Am I really blessing somebody? Maybe. But might it be more powerful for me to take my $8 or whatever it is or my time, because that's way more valuable probably than the 8 bucks, and meet a need where there is no chance of them reciprocating? That's different. And that's ultimately what Jesus did. We can't pay him back. Jesus, I'm, I'm working on the ledger. Jesus doesn't have a ledger. Our name's in the Lamb's Book of Life or it isn't. So to do likewise, not out of fear. I grew up with an idea that you just don't want to make God mad. And that's not the God of the Bible. Now, neither do we want to be flippant with God. It'll all work out. No. All paths do, in fact, lead to heaven for judgment. And the Scripture tells us people are going to go, Jesus, didn't we do really cool things in your name? Didn't we, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we? And he's go, I'm sorry, I don't know you. So meeting needs becomes really a big thing because God gets the credit and this tipping point, somebody in this room right now, this isn't dramatic, but somebody, your scales tipped away from Jesus. Or a graphic on the pennies, you don't really start getting a ton of money out of that penny a day until you're about like day 22. But plant and water and plant and water and then we see a harvest that God brings. So it doesn't matter who's standing up here. We're all serving the King of Kings. But every week over to the left is our prayer room. And it might be the deepest need you have this morning is for the first time for real for you is to say, I need Jesus to be the remedy for sin in me. I need to humble myself, I need to surrender, and I need to receive that, and then walk in it. Be obedient to what the Scripture says. This is not just hell insurance, and I think that's risky. So to come up out of that baptistry to then passionately live for Christ and meet needs, that's what we're called to do as the people of God. You could respond this morning by asking and allowing Jesus 
to help you meet needs where there's no chance of it being reciprocated. And the scripture says to not know, let your left hand, left hand, know what your right hand is doing in implying that we do it solely for God's glory, not for our own applause or someone else's applause. Because that applause passes. God's applause, well done. Isn't that going to be cool? I think, you know, when you get to heaven and God's going to go, come here, come here, come here, come here. That thing you did, that was so awesome. And we're like, wow, I didn't even remember God. And mighty go, that other thing you did, that was for you. <laughs> that gets personal, doesn't it? And then it may be that you go, okay, I know Jesus, I am meeting needs, and I'm just in a chaotic season of life, and I would like another human to look me in the eyes and be present with me and pray for God's power. That room is open for that reason as well. I don't know where you're at, but the Holy Spirit does. So if he's nudging or kicking or whispering, don't let that pass by. I'm going to pray for us, and then I have about two and a half more things to say that aren't totally sermony, and then uh, we're loosed on the world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, every word in the whole dictionary would not be enough to thank you, to praise you, to bless you, to honor you. You are King of Kings. Help us to live out of that reality. Help it to define the big and the small in our lives. Help it to define how we see ourselves and you. And we do pray that this world around us would be impacted by your love pouring out of us in very tangible and practical ways. And we cry out again and again for a deepening of your work in us for your glory, not ours. We pray and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.